Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great episode and interview to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. And today we're talking all about leadership development and specifically how do we find and develop the best leaders. And what does great leadership look like? What does it take to be a great leader in today's modern world? Something that I've really been studying a lot lately as I delve into creating my own content around this and looking to interview more experts. And today we have one for you. His name is Ken Eslick, and he is the co-founder and CEO of The Leaders Lab, an executive leadership recruiting firm, and is also the host of The Leaders Lab podcast, a weekly show that delves into the world of leadership and personal development, on which I was honored to be a guest back in April. Go check out the episode called Take Control of Your Career and Your Life with Andy Storch. Ken is also a longtime expert in leadership and team building with extensive experience leading teams as large as 1,000 in both public and private companies. And Ken has worked with many companies and placed over 500 executives in companies around the world. Ken is also a father of two and a grandfather of three, and he lives in New York with his wife of 35 years. And in today's episode, I asked Ken a little bit about his background, but we really dive right away into what does great leadership look like? What does it take to be a great leader? How do you connect best with your team? How do you balance connection and performance and really drive performance? We talk about the importance of accountability as well as the importance of transparency and communication. And we even talk about how leaders can best deal with situations when we have not just someone who's underperforming, but maybe with that underperformance is due to personal issues like addiction or relationship issues. And how do we give people space, but also hold them accountable to the work they need to do. And if you are someone who is looking for a new job right now, then make sure you listen to the end because I also asked Ken about his advice for job seekers and how they can set themselves up for future success. So this is a great and wide-ranging interview all about leadership and setting yourself up for success in the world. So enjoy my interview with Ken Eslick. All right, I'm joined now by Ken Eslick, who is the co-founder and CEO of The Leaders Lab. Ken, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Andy. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I was honored to be a guest on your podcast a few months back, The Leaders Lab, and we talked all about career development and helping people, leaders, and others with finding direction and taking ownership of their careers. And I was excited to get you on here because I know you work with a lot of different companies and more of a talent acquisition capacity, but you work with a lot of different leaders placing. You have that perspective of knowing what companies are looking for, what great leaders look like, and what people are looking for in terms of developing their careers and what they want from their leaders. So I think this is going to be a really valuable conversation for, for everybody listening. I'm just curious to get started. Like, how did you get into this work? I know you have experience, you know, in the corporate world before you went out on your own. Yeah, long story short. So I was in leadership and we might dive into that later, but I was in leadership and when I was leaving corporate, so I was on the other side of the fence. I was the guy that might hire someone like me now mm. to go help him staff his sales and operations teams, you know, in, in corporate America. And what I found was, was as a leader, my absolute favorite thing to do was finding and developing and nurturing and promoting talent. Like that was my absolute favorite thing to do. And so when I was leaving corporate America, I mean, it, it was a pretty easy list of like, what do I not like, you know, about my job and what do I love about my job? And, you know, what is my zone of genius kind of, and where, where do I, and 
again, it was always just people. It's always being around people. I, I think I've got a very good sense of where someone's at in their career, what they need to do usually to get to get ahead. And if I can provide some level of assistance in getting them there, then great. So, you know, I, and I also looked at recruiting and, 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 you know, kind of in a, um, I guess the entrepreneur part of me went like, this is, in my opinion, an underserved area. And I don't mean underserved in the sense that there's not enough recruiters. There's right. plenty of recruiters. I don't feel like there's any, many people that did it very well. I mean, you know, I had a lot of people trying to work with us when I was again in corporate America. And a lot of times, like not even asking us the right questions, not even asking us things like, tell me about the culture, tell me about your specific team and kind of what makes them tick and, you know, what that next perfect fit might be. They wouldn't even do that. They just like send us resumes and emboss their logo yeah, on it. And hire if, a person if, that looks like this. Yeah. Exactly. And if we, if something stuck at the wall, then they would all of a sudden want to take credit for that. They'd bill us for that. And, and um, so I, I know I'm labeling the whole industry and, and there's right. obviously some great, great recruiters out there, but I, I saw an opportunity, right. And that, that opportunity happened to align with, with what my passions were and what my strengths were. That's really cool. And yeah, I mean, usually when you're, even when there's an industry that seems quote saturated, right, there's tons of people doing it, uh, certainly right. does not mean there's not an opportunity. In fact, there usually is an opportunity because that they've, a lot of people have proven the opportunity. Uh, sure. and there's probably a lot of people not doing it very well. Right. And right. therefore there's an opportunity to go out there and do it well. For example, there's probably no shortage of plumbers in the world, but you can probably stand <laughs> out, right? By actually showing up like good customer service, showing up on time. Yeah. And I think there's- Pull your pants up. Just pull your pants up. Just pull your pants up. No cracks. <laughs> and and you'll get it. more business, right? <laughs> That's it. So I'm curious, you really specialize in, in leadership and placing leaders in companies. And- that's something that is an integral part for business, like finding the right leaders, developing leaders is one of the most common challenges and needs around corporate America. When I talk to people on talent development, almost everybody, there's all kinds of programs going on, but almost everybody is trying to figure out how do we develop our leaders, you know, find and, and develop better leaders. So what would you say, you know, taking a broad approach to leadership across different industries and things like that? What would you say makes a great leader today? How do you define great leadership? Gosh, I mean, I think first, great leaders are are great followers or great students. Um, I think as soon as someone's out of being in student mode, out of growth mode, you know, when the ego gets bigger than the need to grow, and and you can interview for that. You know, you can, you know, we can talk specifically about maybe what questions to ask in an interview for that. But that's one of the biggest things to me because when there's a lack of of personal growth, personal curiosity, then it resonates in so many ways, right? Like, like one, one is that's the best they're ever going to be, right? Because they're not learning. So they're not going to, they're not going to get better. Yeah. The other is, I think there's an implication there that like, if I'm not interested in learning more about, you know, my product or my industry or whatever, I'm probably also not that in, interested in learning about the people that I'm going to be supporting or working with. And now you've got a lack of empathy. You've got a disconnect from an emotional level. So I, I would just say the best leaders, you, know, you really want to interview the people that are really into growth. And I think people that are into growth, really into growth, like where it's just a core human need for them uh, or at the top of their human needs, because we all have it. I think there's a bit of humility in that, right? Because, mm -hmm. because to always want to grow is to always be curious. And to always be curious is 
kind of saying like, I don't have the answers to everything. I'm curious about what the answers yeah. are to everything. And I think that level of humility comes across in the way that they communicate with people. And, and you can be both confident and strong in the things that you do know and humble and curious in the things mm-hmm. that you don't. I think those are really important characteristics. I was just going to ask you about that balance because I've talked to a lot of people about this and I feel like we value humility as a society. We don't like people that are overconfident, right? Or arrogant. At the same time, we value confidence in leaders, right? If somebody's too mm-hmm. humble, they don't believe in themselves enough, then you worry, are they going to be able to get things done? Are they going to be able to command uh, that sort of respect you know, from their people? And, and maybe that's changed and that's not as necessary, but there's sort of a balance there, right? To be confident in your abilities, but also humble enough to know that you still have a lot more to learn. Well, I think a great leader sees things and themselves for the way it is, not better, not worse, just for the way it is. And then they can see things better and then they can lead others to a better outcome. And I think it goes the same way with your own characteristics. So it's not about you're playing a part of being humble or it shouldn't be, mm. or you're, I'm just humble on every, oh, gee, I don't know. Ask Andy. I, I right. can't possibly, you know, it's not that it's. Yeah. No, I'm really good at this. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I am great at leadership recruiting, Andy, but I don't know a whole lot about AI, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I'm okay with that. I don't really yeah. need to, I mean, I want to know AI. I'm curious about AI, but I'm not the AI expert. I'm not going to claim to be, you know, but I think right. leaders and in particularly immature leaders, and I don't mean age-wise, I just mean immature, underdeveloped leaders, weak mm-hmm. leaders, find the need sometimes to be experts in or pretend that they're experts in things that they are not experts in, right? And and that's immediate loss of credibility because people on your team are going to figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah. So curiosity, that desire for growth, the ongoing, you know, being a lifelong learner, you want leaders who are interested in like, hey, I'm, I've got a good experience doing this thing, but I know I can get a lot better and I'm hungry for learning and growth and that sort of thing. That's awesome. And I've long thought of curiosity as sort of like the number one trait that will lead to success for anybody in any type of role. Um, what about when it comes to things like empathy and personal connection and inclusion, you know, things that are, you know, have been considered in the past to be a little bit more fluffy, if you will, but are now being considered by many to be more of the hard skills or, you know, the type of skills that are going to be really necessary for leaders in in the future? I think in reality, they've always been the skills when you think about it, because people have always been people. And mm. I don't know about you, but I've I've never responded well to someone that I didn't feel actually had my best interests at heart. Now, I might do what they ask me to do because I have to do it, but I'm not doing it because I want to do it. And I'm certainly not doing it because I'm self-motivated or, you know, if they're not invested in me. And so I don't think this is a new thing. I think this is people waking up and going, look, the only way to what we really want long-term is to have a a partnership that is mutually beneficial where we care about each other. And you can't ask for people as a leader to care about you in advance of you caring about them. Do you know what I mean? Like, And so it's funny, I talk to people all the time that will say, well, God, why won't they just step up when I need them to step up? And it's like, well, Let's talk about your relationship with them. Like, you know, there are, there are opportunities, I think, as a leader all the time to serve. And I think some of the best opportunities to serve are when your employees are struggling. 
personally, professionally, whatever they are, show in those moments that, you know, you're there for them, right? And and then when it comes time to the quarter ending sales blitz or whatever you're trying to do, I, I believe that most people are good. I believe that most people yeah. uh, believe in, in kind of fairness and I believe in the laws of, you know, reciprocity. And I believe that someone knows like, God, Andy's always got my back. And I know he's now under some pressure from his boss. I'm going to get that project done. I'm going to make that sale. I'm going to, and, and, and a lot of times you don't even have to ask, they'll just come through, but you but you can't put it too many leaders put that before they're, they're like, well, if they perform, then I'll care. And I'm like, mm. no, you're the adult in the room, man. Like in, in terms of this relationship, you're the senior in this relationship. You've got to put them first. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they want to know that you care about them and you you're there for them in the challenging times. They're going to be there for you totally. to show up in those in the challenging times that you have, like making quota at the end of the quarter or whatever it is, the high pressure situation. What are you hearing from companies that are coming to you to recruit leaders? Are there other things that are coming up these days in terms of what they're looking for, saying we want leaders that will act like this or do this or be able to motivate their people to do X, Y, Z? What kind of things are you hearing? I think the number one thing people are asking for, and this may sound like, well, of course they're asking for this, but it's, it's, I'm just hearing it more now, like, like really more now is, is companies want leaders that can find other leaders and develop other leaders. So you can have a track record of great performance and a pretty nice resume, but you better, I think if you're in leadership, you you better be able to speak to your ability to build teams to talk about things like improvements to turnover or employee engagement, or the, you know, be very specific about people that you've hired that are in new positions now, bigger positions now. That should really be your your numbers book much more than quarterly earnings and sales and stuff like that. I mean, I think you should really be, I mean, really, if I if I only had access to one set of data on a person, that's the set I would want. I don't care about, because that'll tell me everything I need to know, Andy. If, if a guy's leading the league in bringing people on board, in recruiting, mm-hmm. in developing, and in promoting, what do you think the, the results look like? I mean, they're obviously going to going to be great, you know, and they're going to be great over time, you know, if, right. because they've, they've developed a system to make that happen. Yeah, that that's really hard though. Like it's it's hard to find leaders that are doing that at least in my experience. Maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong because I think that requires something really challenging which is sort of putting your ego aside and saying I'm going to put other people first, right? I'm going to focus on developing other people even if that means they end up being better than me or they leave and go to other teams or other companies that that's going to work out well for me because I'll I'll build this reputation and and you and I both know that helps leaders build a legacy and a reputation of being able to develop other leaders and they should be rewarded for that but it could be a little scary when you're just saying well I'm just going to focus on developing others and I'm not going to look out for myself and just trust that that's going to work out if it doesn't uh you're with the wrong company you know mm. I mean if it doesn't you got to just find a different company but it can't work any other way when you really think about it. I mean, the talent in the people around you is the talent in the people around you. You didn't create it. You don't own it. The best you can do as a leader is create an environment that, is, that allows it to come out, right? But like, we're not, it's funny when people say, I'm a good motivator. I'm like, are you? <laughs> like, like, because I don't even think Tony Robbins is a good motivator, right? I, I think he's great at creating a motivational climate that mm-hmm. you then walk into and it, but if it, it but it exists internally right yeah. and so i think when you're trying to hold that down 
gosh, it's coming from a place of scarcity, right? If they, if they rise up, what does that say about me? It actually says great things about you. If you're constantly surrounding yourself with people that are rising up, they're going to get to wherever they're going to. It's funny. What I'll tell you a quick story. So there was a guy that that I mentored early in my corporate career. That as soon as I put him in the in the GM chair, uh, and I was like a director, and he was a general manager. Guy was phenomenal, like just phenomenal right out of the gates. And I don't know if you've ever mentored someone like this, but not not that you can't ever start giving or they can't ever stop learning, but. After a while, I'm like, you know, you got like 97% of the tools that I got in the tool. Yeah, I don't know what, I don't I know what else to teach you. Right. Right. I'm like, it's kind of time for you to move on. Well, that guy just kept moving on and is now running a $7 billion division at the company that we worked with, worked wow. at wow. together. And I'm proud of that. I mean, I'm proud that I got to be there. And that's what I mean about like, you know, if you want to look at talent, like, I don't know, look at it like you got Michael Jordan on your team. He's going to score. He's going to be one of the best scorers in the history of the NBA, whether you like it or not. Yeah. So you can either hand him the Gatorade and be a part of his success and maybe help him early in his careers, you know, stay in the lanes or establish what the guardrails were, or maybe some yeah. good training practices, or you can try to be a hindrance to that. And, and history will kind of deal with you that way too, right? So that's how I look at some of the leaders I've had the fortune of working with in their careers is that they were like rocket ships waiting to take off. And my job was simply to clear the path so they could do it, you know? Yeah. It's funny. You reminded me of, I don't know if you watched that show, The Last Dance on Netflix about the, see that. The, yeah. the Bulls dynasties of the 90s, the championships. And I was just thinking of the the general manager at the time, I forgot his name, who was sort of the villain in that story, who was like always doing things detrimental, at least from their perspective, to hold the team no, back. It was, de- it was detrimental. Right, right. It was detrimental. <laughs> yeah. He let Phil Jackson go, the head coach that yeah. helped them win those championships. We went on to the Lakers to win championships there. You know, probably the reason why, you know, Pippen left and Jordan retired earlier than he probably could have or should have was because of this terrible general manager they had, right? Managing yeah. people leave bad managers, even if they're the best in the world. Yes. They leave. Like, I can't play under this guy anymore. Yeah, well, I'm sure, I mean, you know, I've listened to your podcast tons. And, and so I know you guys have gone over this before, but like like you said, people leave bad bosses. And and you know what's what I think is funny is when someone leaves a job, you know, exit interviews are terrible, by the way. Like, cause because they need to be done in a completely different way because the exit interview is usually done by the person that's getting broken up with. Right. Mm. Like you're the sales manager and your sales rep is leaving you. Yeah. And you're doing the exit interview or maybe someone in HR. But a lot of times it's the boss that's doing it or at least the boss that they know is going to get the feedback. And it's like, so what does the person leaving say? Let's say someone's on on your team and let's say you're a sales manager, Andy, and maybe you're not great at engagement and you never treated them right. You never did the thing we're talking about at the beginning, which was invest in them so that they'll invest in you. And so one day a recruiter like me comes calling and they're like, mm, yeah, I'll take a look. And they leave. Now, when they come back, they don't go and they go, Hey, can you like help us out and kind of, you know, fill in the blanks here and tell us why you're leaving. They don't go, well, Andy was a bad boss. They'll say, I got a better offer. Yeah. Right. These guys are paying me 10 grand more. And I'm like, the better question would be, why did you take the call from the recruiter? Yeah. That's a better question. Right. right? Because it's almost like you're married, I'm married. 
do you take calls from like other potential spouses? I mean, you know, I mean, do you take, <laughs> I don't, I don't get a lot of those calls, Ken. I'm not sure. About I don't either. You. I don't either. But no, I, I, block wouldn't, I wouldn't. Right. I'm just saying like, like, like we're not, because you're in a, you're in a happy committed relationship. If, if you're, if you're extremely happy in your role, you're not taking those calls because you know, you're not leaving. Right. For the most right. part. Right. Now, some people that are listening might argue like, well, it's never you keep your bad open. to see what's out there. And I, yeah. listen, I've taken calls before too. I'm not saying, you know, completely no, but I'm saying in general, if someone's taking every call, especially right, like looking for a way out, like what's going on. And because it's easier when someone leaves to say it was the money, it was the work-life balance. Cause then they don't have to villainize anybody like that GM of the Chicago bulls. Right. They mm-hmm. can just say it wasn't you. It was this. And and the manager wants to hear that, yeah. Because of course they don't want it to be them. So they're like, well, they got a better offer. Not my fault. We should yeah. up our pay. We yeah. should increase our compensation. It's like go ahead and increase it away. Like you said, you could still be part of a world champion and want to leave if you don't feel valued and appreciated. That's right. Yeah. Getting back to leadership and what makes leaders successful. We talked about the personal connection and why that's so important. Obviously, performance is really important as well. We want to drive results. So how can leaders best balance the need for performance with driving culture and that sort of connection and employee experience? I think if you, I mean, there's a few ways. That's a pretty big question, a really good question. But I think that, first of all, you, you, need to hire correctly. And I know that that's kind of an obvious thing, but I'm just saying, let's assume for sake of our argument today, we've hired somebody that's that's from a skill set standpoint, even though they might have stuff to learn, but that they're capable, right? They've got the aptitude to do the job. You know, maybe they need to work on it or be developed, but they have the aptitude to do the job. I think from the beginning, from the very start of, of their hiring process, as a leader, you should know what their strengths and weaknesses are. You should already have a plan of, I think the best performance reviews always end with what's the thing I need to do before the next review, right? What's mm. the thing I'm working on? And then the new review should start with your areas needing of improvement since the last review, right? So it's like a baton being handed off. These are the, you know, if it's on, if it's a six month review with some monthly check-ins in between, it's funny because I just gave a review like that ended like seven minutes before I got on with you and we were going over her areas of improvement since her last review, but it's like, okay, what are the four items that you need to be successful and to go on your career development path? And then how did you do? And so the next review starts with those things. If we hired well, assuming we did, we've got someone that can do the job. We're being clear on what the standards are, we're being clear on what they need to improve. We're giving them the tools they need to manage along the way. Then this doesn't come up all that often. When it does, it's clear. It's here's what you need to do. Um, I think it's interesting because if it's a skill set that they have already and the performance is not there, then it's usually an activity thing. It's usually just like, Hey man, you're just not making enough calls or you're not, you know, whatever it is. And that to me is easily addressable because it's, you know, that that's a can do that they might not be doing Mm. if, and so you have to look at, is it a can't, can't do or a won't do if they can't do something. Now you've got a job skill set problem and you have to look at that. If it's a won't do, it's like, well, do it. It's a requirement of your job. And if you're asking how to balance that, so again, uh, am I going to lose now the goodwill that I built up with, you know, let's say John, the sales rep, because I've got to come down on John because he's not making his sales calls, right? I'm okay. I'm strong enough as a leader. And 
again, because we've been documenting from the beginning of what what is the definition of success? What do you need to be doing? I'm perfectly okay with having the conversation of John. The conversation I really want to be having with you is what are you doing this weekend and how are your kids? Because I know your boy played in the Little League Championship last weekend and all of that. Unfortunately, the conversation we have to have is why didn't you make all your calls this week? And what is preventing and what can I do to help? And then just setting those standards moving forward. I, I still yep. think you can do that in a very caring way. Yep. And to me, if they're not, if they don't end up doing something that is a can do that they are not doing, then that to me indicates that they are self-selecting out of a particular role or maybe out of the company. And I'm not talking about once, but over time, right? Yeah, of course. You see a pattern over and over again. But what I'm hearing is establish the, the personal connection get really clear on expectations, what's expected in the role, what's expected over the next six months, you know, what, what are we looking for? Yes. And then accountability, right? Not not being yes. overly tough, but holding people accountable to what they need to be doing. And that's fair as long as the expectations are clear and you're showing that you do care about them as a person and you care about the results. And we've got to balance both exactly. of those things. Exactly. If you care about them as a person, and we do, then the goals that you're putting forth First of all, shouldn't just be goals that you're putting forth. It should be goals that they're putting forth and that their personal goals should somehow be tied to operational standards. And what I mean by that is, I'm going to, I'll tell you a quick story. So the way I got into corporate America is I owned a small business and a large fortune 500 company came in and wanted to buy me out. I was in my early thirties. It was a very small company. You know, I had like a half a dozen people that worked for me and I wasn't selling the company because I wanted to go to work in corporate America. I was selling it because they offered me, you know, in my opinion, more money than it was worth. I'd like it to be more noble than that, but that's what it was. It was hey, a big honestly, check. And I, I like it. Yeah. yeah. I was like, cool, nice big check. But because they gave me this nice big check, even though I kind of fancied myself as an entrepreneur, I was like, I need to hang out and do the right thing by my employees and by them. Like they paid me well. Let's make sure everything transitioned. Well, up until then, I really felt like I was great at doing a lot of the things that we're talking about right now. I really got to know my people, what made them tick, what was important to them, and then aligning some of their career stuff. And a lot of the talks we would have would be like, you know, come on, Andy, you said you wanted to buy that boat so you could take your family on the lake or whatever. Like, like here's what you got to do. And all of a sudden, that we were buying other companies and my job was getting bigger. And, you know, I went from having the six people I had that immediately I had about 15 and that was okay. But then 15 went to 40 like that. So within like six months, I went from six to 15 to 40. And one day I'm just like, all I'm doing is running around. I'm, 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 I'm not a proactive leader anymore. I don't know what's making most of these people tick. And even the ones that I did, I was like, I can't focus on what Andy needs right now. Like I just got, you know, I got to get this report in or whatever. And so I remember I went like, this is BS. I got to call like a timeout and and we got to just do like a reset. So I brought everybody in on a Friday. I brought them into our conference room and I just owned the situation. I said, guys, we have grown like crazy in the last six months. And that's amazing. And that's exciting. And that's creating new opportunities. And several of you are in new jobs. You've got promoted and that's all well and good, but I am underserving you. I am, you know, like my job is to know you and know where you want to go. And I just don't anymore. And I'd like to think, Andy, because this is going to sound like I read it out of some book or something, because it, it ended up being kind of brilliant, but it was just a dumb accident that ended up being great. And I just said, you know, can you guys just do me a favor? And it was very on the spot. I said, there, there's not a way for me to do this in a group environment. So would you please take some time between now and Monday and just write down, I'd like it to be in handwriting, 
what are you here for? What do you want? What are some of your goals? And they don't have to be like, I'm going to make president's club. They could be, again, I want to buy a boat or, you know, they could be career. They could be non-career. I don't really care. I just want to know like kind of, you know, what makes you take them? What do you want? And, and then just give those to me if you could on Monday. And then, and then over the next like week or two, I'll meet with each of you for a few minutes and we'll talk about it and kind of gain alignment around it. Well, Andy, that ended up being the most powerful thing in the world because in their writing, in their actual writing, yeah, I had a document now that said, hey, I want to be a leader in the company or, mm-hmm. or I want to buy a boat, you know, or I want to make X amount more per year, or you know what? I want better work-life balance. I want to be able to go to my kid's baseball game every Thursday. And no matter what it was, Andy, it didn't matter what it was. It did not matter what it was. We could always find common ground between what they wanted and what we needed as a company. And then we'd create plans mm. around that, that then ended up being those areas needing improvement in the performance plan. Yeah. So it was just I don't know. It was just such a cool way to go about it and to, and to really gain alignment on, you know, what they wanted. And, and, and what we're able to do moving forward from that was anytime their behavior was out of alignment with what they put down. So let's say it's the sales rep and let's say he wants the boat and let's say what we break down is to get the boat. You got to make $20,000 more per year and to make $20,000 more a year, you got to do four more presentations a week and close one more deal, which means 10 more phone calls. I don't know, whatever. Right. And you just go, well, a lot of times, like with goals, if you don't have a coach, you know, you know, we got to ask them like, what do you want to do if you get off track? Do you want me to let it go and just fade away? Or would you like me to keep you accountable to this? And they'll say, "Uh, no, no, no. Keep me accountable. Like, okay, great. So now they're giving you permission to hold Mm. them typically at a higher standard. They're asking for you to do it because they really want you to do it. So the reason I'm going on this long kind of story is that people want us as leaders to hold them accountable, provided the thing that you're holding them accountable to is something that they want, not just something that you want. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yep. like as long as their your vision and their vision are aligned and that you've gained agreement and that you have rapport, everybody, including me, wants to be held accountable to that. Yeah. Want that's why we hire personal trainers. That's why we get personal coaches. Mm-hmm. That's why we join masterminds because we want someone to go, you said your North Star's over here. Yeah. And when you're off, like, what do you want me to do as a leader? But again, all comes back to you have to have the rapport, you have to care about them yep. first. Yeah. And then they'll trust you enough to say, you're the guy I want pointing me towards my North Star. Yeah, the relationship, the permission, and the accountability, right? Because people need accountability, but when you don't have their permission, and you know, if you're a manager, you don't necessarily need it because you do need performance. Right. But if you don't have the permission, it doesn't go over as well. It's like, I heard a long time ago that if you try to coach someone who doesn't want coaching, that's called nagging. Usually what we do with our spouses, <laughs> right? Like, you said I you like wanted that. to do this and yeah. now you haven't done it. And they're like, leave me alone. That's good. But if they're a direct report, then, you know, there's still an obligation there. So you got to find a way to, to, to work with that. I wanted to ask you, you know, going on this idea of personal connection, I love what you said about the accountability and that story that you shared. I know that you have dealt with some personal challenges of your own addiction, mm-hmm. something you speak out a lot to, to support other people. When you're managing people and they're not performing and you suspect that it might actually be about a personal issue, right? Maybe they're having relationship problems at home or health issues, or maybe even an addiction problem. How do you support people with that? Because I think, I feel like people want more 
connection, like we've talked about with leaders these days and not just let me keep this to myself, but they're probably not going to bring it up a lot of times unless you figure out what's going on. Well, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, but again, the trust that you establish with them by caring about them and them caring about you is going to make them feel like it's a safe place to talk to you and therefore to your company if you're part of a a bigger organization about something that might be going on. And you know, if you look at the time and investment that you put into people, if we want to look at this just from a business perspective, you know, it's usually worth it, right? It's usually worth it to say like, hey, you know, Andy's been here eight years and he's having some trouble with alcohol or he's having, you know, whatever it might be. And like, how can we support him like to get him back on track? You know, that said, what I try to encourage when I suspect something like that in the workplace is we can't help issues that we don't know, right? It's kind of delicate when you suspect something and you don't Mm. know, because if you start accusing people of like, I think you're on drugs or like whatever, that's a whole different kind of HR thing, you know? But I think just saying like, look, something's going on, you know, I, I, I phrase stuff a lot again, like if standards are set to begin with and they're framed in a way that like, here's what you need, we're gonna give you the tools, we're gonna monitor, we're gonna measure you're starting to see things very early when people start going off track, if you're measuring it that well, and if you're Mm. monitoring it that well, and if you're giving good performance reviews and things like that. And so you're starting to catch or see things early and you're starting to talk about them early to the point where people are either going to talk to you about an issue they're having, you know, marital problems, whatever it might be, or they're going to self-select out or whatever they're going to do. But, but I guess my point here is you want to address the molehill before it becomes a mountain, right? Yeah. Right. Build that relationship early, create psychological safety where people feel like they can be themselves, that they can, they can trust you to have a conversation with you and then lean back into that curiosity, which is the first thing we talked about today and ask questions to find out before you make any assumptions or accusations, right. And give people some space. And I would imagine the more tenure and performance they have, the more space they've kind of earned, right. Where you can say, well, you know, she's been here for eight years delivering great results. And now she's got this going through a divorce, maybe we give her some space, right? To take a month or, or whatever it is, obviously situational. If you can, I mean, the, the challenge is they've got to communicate so that right. you can comply with like HR rules and stuff like that. Because I know I had a guy that worked for me once, just a top performing sales guy. And when I met him, he was uh, in recovery and was sober. And then I noticed some years went by and then I noticed him drinking at, at like a company event. And not over drinking, just just drinking and sort of as if he always had or something. And I was like, okay, that's strange. I mean, I'm not going to call him out, though he wasn't really doing anything. And next thing I knew, he had a you know, full blown back in, which is kind of what happens if, if you relapse. And these relapses would turn into, we just don't know where he is. And he had amazing credibility with us. Like he was the number one rep in the country, I think at the time. And tons of vacation days. So we'd be like, well, give them a couple of vacation days. But like after a while, when people are in that state, they typically aren't communicating well, they're not proud of their actions, you know? And so eventually we had to part ways and and he was able to be rehired later, but the company can do so much. You can provide the safe environment. You can have the relationship. You can't draw it out of them though. And you've got to hold standards, right. That, that are kind of universal to everybody to some point. So 
but but I think as a leader, what you want to do is go, did we do what we could do to support that person? Did we create an environment that was safe to the best of our ability, right? Did I have a relationship yeah. where they knew I cared about them? Because it hurts when someone like that leaves and you're like, God, why didn't you just talk to me? Because that's all I wanted that whole time. I was like, just talk to me because I could, I, together, we might be able to figure something out, right? Like a long-term leave of absence or whatever it might be, but yeah. Yeah, when they but go, they, they have go they have to come to you and trust you and, and have that conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last question I want to mm-hmm. ask you, Ken, before we wrap up, is about recruiting. We have, you know, we're in an interesting place in our economy right now. I personally know lots of people in my network who have been laid off, who are looking for their next job. There's several people in our community that I run who are looking for the next job. We've got a job search group, as I told you, now going on Thursdays. And yet I know there's still lots of great opportunities out there and that are coming up out there. It's just always going to come down to positioning and relationships and timing and all that sort of stuff. What are some things that people can be doing to set themselves up for success and 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 have a higher chance of maybe getting that great job that they want to get? I, I think there's a couple of things that you probably won't expect me to say that I would say that I'm going to say first is first do your research on the industry and the sector that you're in to see what's going on with the jobs in there. Um, I coach a big group of recruiters that's uh, international. And as you know, tech's been wiped out, which is might be where a lot of your folks are. Right. And all the tech recruiters are like, man, tech is really hard. Tech is really hard. Tech is nobody's hiring a tech. Tech is super hard. I'm like, I know you've been saying that for like a year. Like, when do you want to pivot into something new? Like if I'm a yeah. graphic designer, do I want to be a, a apply? And actually I think tech's turning around now. So maybe a bad example, but you know. It is, but like complaining is not going to help you. How about thinking about pivoting to something else, right? Pivot, exactly. So what I would be doing in general is where are the jobs now? Because, the, you know, it's funny when people talk about, you know, cyclical economies or industries or whatever. I've never seen anything more industry specific than the economy that we've experienced in post COVID. Like it's so weird. Yeah, like a business to business services are flying. Very good. Hospitality. Awesome. Manufacturing. Pretty good. Transportation. Solid. Retail was really good. Now they're starting to take their lumps. Tech, terrible. Crypto, terrible. Fintech, terrible, right? Like it's it's literally, it's like the tale of two economies. It's all yeah. over the place. Yeah. So stop barking up the wrong tree. I mean, why are they going to hire you if they've already got their own employees that they've laid off that they're waiting to hire back? Like it doesn't really make sense to me unless you've done enough research to go, okay, this particular industry is coming back. But the truth is, Andy, most people spend a hell of a lot more time researching their fantasy football team than they do like looking at the industry that they're going to go into. Like, it's crazy to me. Like people go in for interviews and like not even look at the stock price of the company or the financial performance, which you can read in like three minutes on CNBC, Mm. right? Like it's, it's nothing. So figure out the sector, the industry, what's going on with them. Are they hiring? Easy way to do it with a company is go on and go, okay, let's say you want to go into hospitality, right? Let's just say you've gone hospitality, a lot of jobs happening in hospitality. It was happening before COVID, during COVID, after COVID. I feel good about hospitality. Awesome. Now take a company within hospitality that you might be interested in interviewing with uh, because of their growth or culture or whatever it might be. And look at how many total employees do they have and how many job postings do they have right now on LinkedIn? You know, you may say they have a hundred openings. That's awesome. I'm like, is it? 
I mean, if Google only has a hundred openings on LinkedIn, that's, that's kind of scary low. based on exactly yeah, based on their total like 80, number of jobs. Employees, right? Exactly. So a hundred is nothing. Those will be filled by the time you even, you know, <laughs> apply. Yeah. Right. But if you've got two thousand openings at a twenty thousand employee company, that's a lot. And if that company is growing and that's the reason for their opening and it's not turnover and you like everything else that you're saying, then that might be a good way to get in. The other thing I would say is LinkedIn is your place to, you know, everybody hears like, don't have longer than like a two page resume and all of that, which I completely agree with because no one's looking at it. It's just a bunch of paper. I don't, I don't look at resumes all that much. I look at LinkedIn profiles and the beauty of a LinkedIn profile is it can go on for infinity and it should. I have like 60 recommendations on my LinkedIn mm. profile, Andy. Like I want people to look at my LinkedIn profile and go to the recommendations and go, okay, enough. I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. After after like five, I want them to go, okay, lots of people think you're a cool dude. Okay, yeah. fine. Like, yeah. And so that's the beauty of the LinkedIn thing. You can have a professional photo or a creative one or whatever, right. however you, you want to- Change your headline all the time. You can customize all kinds yes. of things about it. You can attach projects, you can do, you know, and so all the things you can't do on a resume, you can do on a LinkedIn profile. And I encourage you to do. The other thing is recruiters like me, when we're looking for people, we do these advanced searches using like booleans and stuff like that. And a boolean is simply a string of words that we're putting together. And to do or, the search. yeah, exactly. And so if I'm looking, I'm just saying with sales reps, because everyone can relate, but if I'm looking for a sales rep, and let's say you're a president's club level sales rep. Well, you're, you're not in sales necessarily, Andy, but you know what president's club probably means, right? It's yep. like the top guys, right? Right. Well, if you're a president's okay. club level sales rep and that's not in your LinkedIn profile, shame on you. Like take credit for that. I'm in there, you know, searching. If I'm looking, if my team's looking for sales reps, we want the president's club level guys, right? And if you didn't put that on there, you didn't make that search. So build out your LinkedIn profiles. Don't be afraid to be a self-promoter on LinkedIn in terms of, you know, your resume and your awards and like what you've done. Be very specific about your accomplishments. So if you're in operational leadership and you reduce reduce turnover on your team from 26.2% to 17.6% on a rolling annual basis, it should say it exactly like that. Not just reduce turnover, right? Reduced it by this in this amount of time. So be specific, be detailed. Don't be afraid to use LinkedIn once you've done all that other stuff. Use it like a tool, right? Yeah, like a tool like, in your favor, right? Making connections exactly. and things like that. Exactly. Instead of just waiting, like, you know, okay, now I know that I want to interview with Hilton. I've got my resume or my LinkedIn profile built out the, res- the right way and my resume is ready to go. Now I'm going to proactively find the people that might be the hiring managers for this particular position I want, right? And yeah. I'm going to go find it. Yeah, I love that. Great advice right there. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I obviously talk a lot about helping people, you know, owning their careers, but I don't know a lot of the, the ins and outs of the, you know, the best ways to get jobs. I love what you said about research and really honing the LinkedIn profile. I always think it's funny when people are like, Hey, I'm looking, if you know anything, like, let me know, here's my resume. I'm like, I don't need to look at your resume. I can look at your LinkedIn right. profile. Like, I don't understand right. why are you sending me this PDF that I need to open? Am I supposed to save right. this now? I don't really understand like LinkedIn is in the cloud. It's always there for me. And then using LinkedIn as a tool, making a connection. Ken, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate having you on here. I love the advice at the end. You and I already talked about this, but I'm excited to, as I mentioned in the talent development think tank community, we have a job search group uh, that meets every Thursday for any of our members who are actively looking for new roles. And I'd love to have you come join as a guest there and answer questions and just kind of coach some people in there on, on more of the, the tips and stuff you talked about. 
happy to. I can jump in and we can do a Q&A or whatever they want. However I can serve, I'm, I'm there. Yeah, that would be awesome. Cool. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. Got it. This has been awesome. Such great content advice today. And I look forward to talking to you more soon, which we will be doing for our bonus Q&A in just a few moments. Thanks, Andy. All right. Take care. All right, that will do it for my interview with Ken Eslick, who is the co-founder and CEO of The Leaders Lab, an executive search firm, as well as the host of The Leaders Lab podcast, in which I was a guest several months back. And Ken's a great guy. I've really enjoyed getting to know him, being on his show, having him on this show, talking with him all about leadership. He's worked with so many leaders. He has a lot of great experience as a leader. And as I have been working on a new book about leadership, I've been trying to interview and talk to as many experts as I can on this topic of leadership. So it was really great to dig into Ken's experience in his mind. I hope that was helpful for you as well as you think about how you can best recruit and develop the leaders in your organization and maybe how you can become a better leader as well if leadership is in your role or you just want to become more influential and a better person. I think we gave Ken gave a lot of great uh, advice on how to do that as well. Uh, we mentioned, I think, in the conversation that Ken is going to come join us in the Talent Development Think Tank community. We have regular calls with guest speakers every Wednesday, and we also have a job search group that meets every Thursday at noon Eastern to share tips and tricks and support each other in our job searches. I say are, I'm not actually looking for a job, but we have many people who are. And uh, I'm thankful to Jessica Siegel and Phil Magenko, who are both members of our community who started this group several months back and has really taken off with a lot of people joining it and engaging with the calls and the conversations. And I'm so grateful to them for creating this space to help others. And I'm confident that it's helping them in their careers as well. Ken's going to be joining one of our future calls to support our job seekers. And so if you're someone who is looking for a new job in the talent development world, then you may want to come check out our group. I say may, you really should. We're actually offering a free trial right now for our foundation and our all access membership levels. You can sign up today, get a 14 week free trial, join two of our calls, really four of our calls. If you include the job search calls, uh, get all the value, connect with people, and then you can decide if it's something you want to stick with uh, or if you want to leave. We've had several people take advantage of this recently, which has allowed me to connect with a lot more new and great people in the talent development world. So go check that out. All the information is on our website at talentdevelopmentthinktank.com slash community. We also have a newer tier and group for entrepreneurs in the L&D space. So if that's you, if you're a coach, consultant, speaker, freelancer, in talent development, then come check us out because this gives you all the value of the community plus an additional monthly call where we focus in on business and brand growth strategies in the world of talent development. Again, all the information is on our website, talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. When you get there, you can click on podcast to find more of our podcast episodes on our blog. You can also click on community to find more information about the community and you can sign up right there. All right, thank you again for listening. Hope you'll stay tuned for our next episode, which is our bonus Q&A with Ken Eslick. Talk to you then.